96% of millennials claim that being a witness for Jesus Christ is an important part of their faith. Yet 47% say that it is morally wrong to practice evangelism. Perhaps you share the same view as Ryan who said this about why he dislikes evangelism. The idea behind evangelism is wrapped up in this idea that you are this poor, pitiful sinner that needs to be saved, that you are inherently defective and you have no merit or value on your own." End quote. We will look at what others are saying about evangelism and hope to give you a way that you can be a witness for Jesus without the cringe associated with it. Welcome to Christianity Still Makes Sense, where we are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near-apostate and now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. If you are doubting, you are welcome here. As we always love to hear from people, please let us know your thoughts in the comment section of this video on our YouTube channel. Now, Bobby, I think Ryan's sentiment is shared by many, both Christian and non-Christian, and it can be seen here in this clip of Ray Comfort, where he is in a crowded street, surrounded by a small group of people, and he is speaking loudly at one person. Let's take a look at this clip. Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already within his heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Are you homosexual? Whether I'm gay, bisexual, straight, or whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact that I love God and love Christ is more important. So you love Jesus Christ? Yeah. Well, he's the one that said he's the only way to God. He's the one that said only he can forgive sins. And if you've lied, you're in trouble. You'll end up in hell. I don't want that to happen to you. Bobby, what was your reaction when you first saw this clip? You know, as I sit there and listen to this with you, Tim, one of the things that comes to mind is how important it is to have a proper approach and understand the culture we live in. Mm. I think that Ray Comfort, obviously, uh, what what I could say positively is he's definitely, you know, a committed Christian. He's got amazing boldness. If only uh, the church would have a grain of sand of the kind of boldness that he has. But I do know that Ray's approach is to begin with the law. And so that approach kind of gets you off to a bad start from the beginning, from hello. What ends up happening is, is he wants to say, uh, as he takes the scriptures, because the Bible does talk about, um, you know, this idea of the old covenant uh, that sits behind the new covenant, that basically the law hammers us. It shows us that we're desperately wicked, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so he wants people to realize that everybody is jacked up. And so even like uh, we read in the New Testament, you know, if you've just sinned in one way, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So he wants to show that even if you've broken one sin, well, that's just as good as breaking the whole law. In other words, that will separate you from God. It's not that there's not more consequences for somebody who sins more or does uh, actions that would be more reprehensible before God. It's just that one sin uh, makes us as if we were guilty of breaking the whole because it only takes one sin to be separated from God. Now, the, the struggle that I have with this approach is the fact that I already mentioned is it gets us off to a bad conversational start. And I think a better approach uh, than taking the old covenant 
and contrasting it then with the new covenant is to start with creation and then go to fall and then go to redemption and restoration. And so I really feel like that is a much more uh, approachable way to connect with people. So you're starting evangelism by saying, you know, when God created us, it was originally good. We, we weren't born into this fallen world. We were created in his image. We were created with a purpose. We were created to know him. And yet we rebelled. And what we see in the garden and the fall in Genesis 3, that's replicated in all of us, that we've all just denied God and went our own way. But the Bible then from Genesis 3 forward is a story of a Savior who's coming to redeem us. And that then points to this redemption side. And so then we can talk about what redemption means and then this ultimate restoration. And I really do feel like that what Ray's saying, it's not that it, that what he's saying is not true. It's how he's saying it and the content where he picks up. I think he should front load it with the fact that this isn't the way it was always meant to be versus the way he starts to can build a lot of enemies. And I'm not saying that he hasn't had effectual impact at times. I mean, of course he has, but could he even be more effective. Right. I think that's a really good point. Like, what is the level of effectiveness that we might see or just an everyday conversation? I mean, this is something that he does on a regular basis, but you can see that the people around him, even in that conversation, uh, if you watch kind of the full, you know, eight minute clip of that conversation, it, it doesn't seem like that they're getting anywhere. It doesn't seem like any light yeah. bulbs are going on, uh, you know, kind of anywhere. So, uh, you know, I, I asked several people on social media what their thoughts of evangelism were. And, and Peter says that he doesn't like the turn and burn sort of evangelism. And while there are much stronger examples out there than what we just kind of saw in that clip from Ray Comfort. Why do you think so many Christians tend to start with this tactic? Well, it's interesting, Tim. I, I don't think uh, many Christians do start with this tactic. I think some do, uh, and the ones that do uh, really stand out. Uh, I think about the time when I was in Bellingham, Washington, and I was recording for Logos there, and I walked outside, and here was this guy. He parked right outside of Logos Bible Software, and now called Faith Life. And I walked out. I was going to get a coffee, and he had these signs up, you know, turn or burn, and letting us know, the, you know, all the people that God hates. And I was really bothered. Uh, because he was just screaming and he felt, he just seemed so filled with hatred and anger and self-righteousness. And I walked up to him and just said, man, do you think this is the best approach here? I mean, nobody's really listening to you here. You're, you're just frustrating everybody uh, unnecessarily. So it's like, we shouldn't be trying to frustrate people. We should be trying to win people to Christ. And if they get frustrated in the process, then that's different. So, I challenged him on this and then he started, uh, you know, asking me about, you know, where I'm at. And I told him I believe in Jesus and, and, and I laid out the gospel and he wanted to tell me that I was lost, that I don't know the Lord. And so basically he was so passionate to him about his turn or burn method that he ended up telling me that I was lost because I didn't agree with his method. Yeah. And I think, my goodness, this guy, uh, you know, it, it was just a real black eye uh, to the church community. Uh, there's a difference between preaching in public with uh, passion and love and preaching turn or burn. I do think that Ray Comfort would certainly offer a lot of love and 
passion. Like I would not even for a second compare a Ray Comfort to the gentleman that I saw at Lagos. Yeah. I think the guy at Lagos, I wonder if he was saved, if anything, I mean, this guy was just ruthless. Uh, but yeah, Tim, I think that it, it, some people do use it. It does stick around. I think for some people, it's rooted in their own self-righteousness. They're angry at the world and they go out. I think for other people, they genuinely are concerned about people spending eternity separated from God and they want to not, you know, sit back. And so they go out and they just boldly confront the culture, realizing they're going to be rejected for it. I can imagine people listening, thinking, well, Bobby, but aren't these people that, you know, the Ray Comforts, the, the guy that you confronted, aren't they just emulating what Jesus did in the Gospels? How would you respond to something like that? You know, it, when you think about Jesus' approach, I don't picture him just sitting around screaming at people, number one. Uh, he sat down in a boat and he would teach. Uh, he would walk along the way and people would gather. Uh, he preached as one who had authority. Um, but I think that his heart was very much uh, in going into the world, number one. And we see that there was lots of approaches he had. I mean, you have one-on-one -on -one with him and the woman at the well, or you can see him hanging out at Levi's uh, house, the tax collector's house with a bunch of sinners and uh, hypocrites. And this really bothered the Pharisees. Well, what was he doing there? Well, he was fellowshipping with them. He was eating with them. Uh, so you see... Jesus practiced all sorts of evangelism. He knew that was his purpose. So he did a widespread public preaching. He did the one-on-one -on -one, and he even got intimate in the homes and even at the discipleship. I mean, he's spending time with those who had leftover questions from his message and he's pouring into them. So I think if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to realize that he had all kinds of ways of reaching people and his method could not be put in a simple box of a one way only. And not only that, uh, you know, Jesus understood his times. You see it with the metaphors he used as it relates to just calling on, you know, plants and vegetables and mustard seeds. And I mean, he really just knew his context. He knew his audience. He knew their objections and he understood uh, the way that people communicate. And so he spoke it, it you know, uh, probably in, uh, you know, Aramaic, uh, but we know that as he's out in connecting with the people, what's amazing, Tim, is that they, they loved it. They wanted to hear more and some really hated it, but it doesn't mean because they hated it that he was yelling and screaming at them. He was honest. He was truthful. And I think that he would paint a picture of both forgiveness and love and grace and justice and hell and heaven. Amen to that. Well, another response that we got from David says that he is turned off by street preaching and really apropos the story that you just told. David said, I don't think that it's sinful or by definition wrong, but usually it's done in not a winsome way. And usually it's just yelling and, and being a stumbling block for people. I, I, wanna, I want us to kind of look at an, another clip from someone doing street preaching in Chicago and then get your response. If you live in sin, if you live in wickedness, you're going to reap death. But if you sow to the spirit, you will have everlasting life. Jesus is saying by prayer, by humbling yourself, by opening your up to his Holy Spirit, he will give you joy. He will give you peace in the secret place. 
But how do we get to the secret place? Do we go there through church? Do we go there through religion? No, it's not through the crystal. It's not through astral projecting. It's not through witchcraft, not through a tarot card reader. It's through Jesus Christ because there's only one mediator between man and God. So Bobby, does this look familiar to you? As I know it does because you just told a story, but have you ever done something like this in the past in your, you know, your, your <laughs> previous, uh, you know, vivacious evangelism days? Absolutely. Uh, this is part of my story, Tim, as it relates to evangelism. And, and note just the difference between this uh, presentation and what we saw with Ray Comforts. Uh, the the other one seemed a little bit angrier. Uh, this mm -hmm. one just felt like, man, I'm just pleading for you. I'm passionate for you. Uh, and I, I think that that's the kind of preaching, if we're going to go out into the streets, let people know that there's a purpose. I mean, we, have to, we also have to think about the kind of setting that we go into and where it might be, a, you know, most digestible to people. And that can really be on college campuses. And so when I was in college, you know, I had... A, a few different types of ministries. Tim, I was so burdened for ministry that I just started creating ministry. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was waiting for people to give me opportunities. I went and got them. I went to a nursing home and I would go to a nursing home with a little jukebox and I would play music and I would love on the elderly and pray with the elderly and I would give them a gospel message. And I really started learning how to preach in a nursing home uh, that I just initiated on my own and through uh, preaching on uh, the local campus there at the University of Central Arkansas. I left California, went, married my wife in Arkansas. And funny enough, uh, you know, I was witnessing to 50 to 100 people a week um, when I was working as a, at a, as a security guard at Verco. Um, I literally can remember opening up the white pages. Uh, people might not remember that, uh, but there was a time when you had to look up people's phone numbers. And I just started looking up people in the community that I live and I started calling them and cold turkey. And it, hey, uh, yeah, I know you don't know me. I'm just calling uh, our community to check in on uh, people's spiritual status. And I would just start witnessing. I never made it all the way through the phone book, but that's how burdened I was. I, I found myself praying over my yearbooks from high school, Tim, for mm. the lost people that I went to school with. And then, yeah, I can remember reading a chapter called Into the Open Air by George Whitfield. And uh, or not uh, not by George Whitfield, by um, Arnold Darlymore, who wrote uh, you know a biography on George Whitfield, and in the chapter called "Into the Open Air," well, George Whitfield was the Billy Graham of his day in the First Great Awakening, and I found myself thinking about what was going on there in the 18th century, and I just felt burdened, and I went out and I started preaching. I remember standing on a bench, preaching, and then I started going out. And I would just spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes to an hour in prayer in this little chapel. And then I'd walk out the door on University of Central Arkansas and I'd start preaching when the kids were breaking between class. And um, my style was just passionately calling out to them to find their purpose because I had just been rescued and my life had been changed. But uh, nobody really listened. I, some people hated it. Some people uh, would get in my face. I got kicked off of campus and escorted off by a security guard. I got escorted off by a security guard at another college campus locally. It was even written up in the paper. Uh, so, I mean, there was definitely some havoc being wrought. Well, funny enough, Tim, my wife was a student at the University of Central Arkansas. And so 
she would beheaded the class and her husband would be out there public preaching because we were so young when we got married. So she goes into class and she says after school, man, everyone's complaining in class. Who's this guy out there preaching? And I was like, well, did you tell him it was your husband? She goes, no, I didn't say anything. I stayed silent. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But that's, yeah. that's not a, that's not a tactic that you use currently. Is it? That's not something that no, you know, we're not going to no, find. Not at all. Uh, not at all. I mean, it was just a young, I didn't, I needed a method and it, it's, it, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just naive and a young zealot. And I right. think that there's a better way to do this. Well, another response that we got from Merrill said, uh, I, I don't like any kind of evangelism that is not coupled with tangible love. Now, I think I think we're getting somewhere in this, but sometimes what we think is loving is not perceived as loving. And I want us to look at a clip from Jeff Durbin to kind of see what I mean. Let's take a look at this clip. My contention respectfully to you is this, and I mean this with love, Wayne, is that you're not just stardust and you know it. You know, I do not know that. You, you know that there's more, well, that you're living as though you believe there is. You say you're stardust, but you're complaining about people hurting you. You're complaining about And hurting being, everyone else. Who, they're stardust. And dragging they're stardust. humanity back into Wayne, the primordial Wayne, ooze. When you elevate stardust above other matter, you're internally inconsistent. What's this arbitrary decree you've made that this stardust is more important than this? That's not a state machine. But the point is, is, is what, you, what you're saying then is, is if it fizzes better, it's more important? So if, no. if you get a bag of stardust that fizzes better than you, can he off you? I'm sure he will. Okay, but, but would that be a good thing and a, a, a healthy thing you'd want him to do? As long as it didn't hurt. So he can kill you as long as it doesn't hurt you? Well... I thought you were complaining a little bit ago about people oppressing you because you're homosexual. Yeah, it gets... It gets Tiresome. But but why would it bother you? It's just Stardust doing what Stardust does in these conditions. Bobby, did you feel the love from Jeff there as he interacted with this atheist outside of the recent rally on the street there? Well, I certainly think that, uh, you know, I don't know how the whole conversation uh, went from start to finish. Um, but I do think that we've got to go to some considerable lengths to to try to validate people's pain uh, versus just starting with our arguments right away. And that can be um, a temptation the more we learn to not really have a lot of patience for, um, you know, ludicrous thinking. But I do think that we always got to remember that we're dealing with a, a human being created in the image of God uh, that's conflicted and confused. And we need to validate some of the pain, the rejection, the obstacles or objections any individual might have so that they can you know, feel that felt love of God flowing through us because that will create trust. When someone feels loved and cared for by us, then that creates a sense of trust and a willingness to listen. And so I do think that we miss the mark on that uh, a lot, unfortunately, in our engagement, especially online engagement. Well, we, we've looked at some pretty cringeworthy examples of evangelism, and I imagine uh, that this is kind of what the people have in mind when they say that evangelism is immoral and why so many Christians kind of shy away from it. So, Bobby, what sort of methodology would you give us that holds truth to the or true to the, the scriptures, but takes into account kind of our current cultural moment, as you've mentioned earlier? Well, I do think that in the particular multicultural, multi-everything world that we're living in, mm -hmm. uh, we have to really be aware of the fact that when we're talking to people that these 
individuals that we're witnessing to have been shaped by different experiences through pain, through traumas, through coaching, through books, through mentors, through friendships, through their parents, through schooling. Uh, So there's so much that shapes a person. And so we have to take time in getting to know everything that's contributed to that person's worldview and where they are at that time. And so that will then allow us to make a proper healthy judgment of where this person is at so that we can, you know, take an interest. So you're taking an interest, you're asking questions, you're connecting, uh, it, it, the person feels that. And so I, do, I think a lot of asking questions is going to be important versus just starting out and giving the gospel. Not that there's never a place for that, but I do think that we need to listen more than we speak. We need to validate where we can. We need to concede what we can. And then we need to understand where that person's at to bring them toward the gospel. I, 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 if, if you don't mind, I might add a couple things to that. Like, sure. I, I think having a, a solid understanding of kind of who we are in Christian or our, what our Christian beliefs are. And we've done some videos on this, um, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, getting good at dialogue, asking questions, helping them uh, you know, understand where that other person is coming from. Can you articulate their viewpoint uh, as well as they would? They say, yes, that that is my viewpoint. Can you do that? Um, you know, are we charitable in our understanding of during the conversation? And can we work as a team? to kind of try to figure out the root of our disagreement. I think those are some things, you know, to kind of keep in mind and then focus on building the relationship is is something that I would add as well. Like, uh, you know, I don't think, and again, maybe, uh, but in that, in those videos, I, I don't think that there's a relationship kind of after that conversation. And I think we, we see much more people move into the direction of Christianity when we start to build that relationship. But I want to end, you, you've developed this kind of gospel identity that ties into uh, how we evangelize. Maybe you could lay out these different pieces of our gospel identity for us. Sure. And I, it's bigger than just turning, uh, connecting to, you know, how we do outreach, but you know, one important aspect to evangelism is before, you know, we think about what to say, uh, we need to also think about, uh, you know, who we're following. Are we properly mirroring Christ to the world? Uh, what kind of an example are we? Like in my book, The Fifth Gospel, where I quote Gypsy Smith, you know, where he said there's five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. But most people will never read the first four. So this basically is just a tool to help make sure that we're growing so that we can go out when we witness and be the example. And so this is just several eyes that people could think about. So, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're having a quiet time with a piece of paper and identify, you know, what negative thought or emotion do I need to address today? Inspect, you know, what does the scripture have to say about this? Inception, you know, what is your earliest memory of this thought or emotion? This allows you to kind of trace the history uh, of how this is developed in your life as a negative thought or emotion. Uh, Increase is the next eye, and that's how has it grown since its inception to negatively impact my life. Uh, Ignite, what situations or settings are uh, most likely to trigger this thought or emotion? So you're trying to really get a sense of your spiritual defects before uh, before the Lord, right? And this is the next one would be invite. What would Jesus want to say to me to move me toward a healing process? And then identity. Am I willing to commit to a process of maturing in this area toward my gospel identity? And so once we kind of walk through this process, 
I, I think it's helpful. Every day we can be writing down different um, struggles that we have and taking this sevenfold process so that we're experiencing deep sanctification. Therefore, we go out and we have a more powerful witness to the world about how Jesus really not only has changed my life, but is changing my life. Excellent points. Bobby, thank you so much for your insight and, and helping yeah. us kind of develop a method and look at some of these. Uh, next week, we are going to be joined by famed author and apologist Greg Kokel as he explains the important topic of gardening when it comes to evangelism. And no, he's not talking about getting the juiciest tomatoes out of your garden. He sits down with Bobby as they explore Greg's new book, Street Sparts. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode or learned something, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is only through your support that shows that are the, shows like this are possible. You can also visit ChristianityStillMakesSense.com to help keep more content like this coming your way. We'll meet you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.